Think about it. Everything is polluted. The environment, the government, the schools, you name it. We're on Uncensored tonight. Nice, clean little bandwidth. No one else is using it. Price is right. I like the idea that a voice can just go somewhere uninvited like a dirty thought in a nice, clean mind. Guess who? It's me again. The little attitude for all of you in white red land. It's five o'clock. Do you care what the mainstream media says? You out there? Can I mute? You listening? What's going on, fam? What's good? Good to see you guys all out there. Thanks for joining us here today on the Brothers Uncensored podcast, video podcast thing that we do. Yeah, that thing. Thanks for joining us. Here looking live at the at the foxhole.app, and you can find a bunch of great new creators there, a new free speech platform just for you guys. Uh, we everyone's getting banned everywhere, and now the 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 actual tech giants that are going to change the internet are backing free speech, and they're backing us. It's an honor to have them by our side. Check out the foxhole.app when you guys get time. Do me a favor, buy those guys a cup of coffee at the very top right here. Support us, uh, help help those guys. They've been working their butts off for what about three months now. The platform is growing, and it's really a great platform. Help free speech, help support free speech. Support the foxhole.app. Finally, you can go over to Brothers Uncensored and find everything you want for the show, previous shows, where you can find us, how you can help. Uncensoredabe.com is live. The new logo is live. I, I really appreciate all of the work that you guys have done behind the scenes. Swag is coming your way in the very near future. We're working hard on that right now. You can find uh, Joe's Rapid Fire segments from the past, the 88D show, separate uh uh, perspectives about what's going on in the world from a younger point of view, the college voice. Finally, find your strength in Jesus. Our Monday and Wednesday prayer sessions, man, do we need it. God, we need God in our lives bad. And it's an honor to have Amy Jo bring in some perspective of the Bible to us every Monday and Wednesdays. Finally, previous shows. Last week was an amazing week. I am very proud of the work that we put in last week. We got another amazing week for you guys this week with some more great guests. Michael Johns is with us today. Uh, tomorrow we got, um, let me find my calendar here. I thought I had it up. Let's see. Tomorrow we got uh, Jeremy Brown, who is that, uh, was it Navy SEAL Joe? Uh Green Beret. Green Beret, who was approached by the FBI to infiltrate. And I uh, recorded that message. We're going to have Jeremy Brown on tomorrow on Thursday. Uh, and tomorrow night we're going to be on uh, One Foot 5D uh, doing a special guest appearance on there. And then tomorrow night I'll be doing, we'll be doing our normal show on Thursday. And then Due Diligence is going to have me on for a Veterans Roundtable. I look forward to that. Friday we got Todd Bensman, who is the man that Michael Yan recommended that we discuss. He's down at the border now doing great reporting down there. It's going to be an honor to bring uh, a voice from the man that's there right now to you guys. How you can help. 
how you can find us and how you can help. Check out the website, Foxhole, Twitch, DLive, CloudHub, Tiger Network, all of the podcast platforms are uh, have us now. Pandora is working on getting us approved right now. I finally got a message from them last night. Uh, so the previous topics of, of the week, uh, just Lane Maxwell in the news yesterday, nice timing. Also a discussion about what's happening in California's net neutrality for some, some perspective there for those of you that would like some more on that. Finally, how you can help us, Cash App, Patreon, PayPal. If you join our, our private Patreon, uh, you can get access to uh, private show content, what's going on behind the scenes, what I'm cooking that day, who Joe's digging out of the ditch, <laughs> tornado warnings that are nationwide, and prayers for those that need it. With that, I want to welcome my Joe into the show as well as Michael Johns. Joe, what's good, bro? Hey, excellent. Glad to be here with you today. I see everybody out there on Foxhole, on DLive, on all of our platforms. What's up, son of a green card? Good to see you out there. Suki, good to see you as well. Texas Girl 71, my sister, thank you for everything you've been doing behind the scenes. Really appreciate it. Deep Patriot 1776, good to see you. Amy Joe, Carol Sorensen, and many more. Thank you all for being here today. I am super excited to have Michael back on the show. It's been a while since we've had him on. Michael, how you been, sir? I'm doing pretty well, and I think I noticed some Christian Slater there from Pump Up the Volume in the uh, beginning. Jackpot. Yes. Uh, you think you guys are going to just slide that by me? No. I am a renaissance man. You are only the it. second person to identify. Tell, yep. tell them the story, Joe. Yeah, so literally Abe, uh, Abe and I had a discussion one day when we were talking about doing Brothers Uncensored. And I, you know, I love pump up the volume. I love that movie because of, uh, well, exactly what we're trying to do here is kind of like a pirate radio uncensored. And um, Abe had this movie in his mind, but he couldn't remember the name of it. It just slipped his mind. And so one night I said, Abe, have you, have you checked out pump up the volume? He's like, Oh my God, that's the one I've been thinking about. And the next thing you know, uh, that night we spent about four or five hours straight just making that intro. And not many people have caught on. I actually watched that movie this weekend uh, as well. I just love it. It's it's a great movie. So I'm glad you recognize that, Michael. Absolutely, Thank you. Man. Absolutely. Good to be back with you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Abe, you're muted. It's good. It's good to have you back. And you've been busy for for the last month, uh, and you've had a lot going on. You've had uh, the podcast appearances that you've been doing. You've been all over the news, uh, different areas all around the world. C- kind of give us an idea of what it, what you've been up to for the last month, and, and uh, you know some of the appearances that you've had, and and the discussions that you've had from from international news. Well, I see a good number of the issues we're confronting evolving in ways that are both A, dangerous, but B, clarifying as it relates to what we're up to, you know? So in the sense that <clears throat> I think you look at, I start with, I start with, um, I start with China, really. And, um, and so much of this, you know, brings me back to the reasonings that, that, that uh, brought me behind support uh, for Trump from day one, you know, just the magnitude of, uh, infiltration that we've confronted. Obviously, this treatment um, that uh, Tiger Yang just threw down on us out in um, Anchorage uh, didn't like that at all. And I can just tell you, you know, with a lot of experience on that region and the CCP, that um, those are never good signs. Okay, they um, take words and demeanor very seriously. 
diplomacy they take very seriously. These these are inherently serious people. In fact, um, I've, I've been circulating that Bill Maher six minute open from uh, from his HBO show a couple of weeks ago, where he talked about Americans being silly people, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that. Uh, not that I agree with that. I mean, we've saved this country, saved the world, and we're a great country, but we do have this propensity to be silly at times. And and look at the issues that we've been kind of, you know, Mr. Potato Head and, uh, you know, this uh, these ridiculous, uh, doc, you know, Dr. Seuss and all of these seemingly silly debates yeah. while, while, you know, a great power alignment is at play in the world uh this pandemic appears to be confront i mean we appear to be confronting what i think is a second wave with this um uh brazilian uh offshoot and 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 the borders open i mean it's just like the perfect storm in a way of of what you would not want to see as a country so the issues you know i've been tackling are number one um china and what we're going to do about, what are we going to do here? Because we're um, uh, very clearly, this is not, China has not played out as the Sinologists of the 1980s, 70s, 80s, and 90s from Kissinger onward told us that it would. And, um, and you know, now it's kind of decision time because we're confronting uh, what I think is going to be a test of will. Um, and even the North Korea development, you know, is a test is a is is a is a china test of will i just don't subscribe to the fact that there's extraordinary autonomy there as it relates to their um their missile testing and this border crisis i just just could not be more more dangerous and more ominous I mean, you're almost looking at an agenda in these 40 executive orders and in the border and in the lax position in the world, and and now I guess tax increases because what better time to do that when you have um, 10 million Americans out of work and seeking employment in a recessionary uh, uh, climate? Uh, someone should ask what economic textbook that comes out of because you know economics has been obviously um, infiltrated in a way by the progressive left, but you wouldn't find any. You know, I mean, I mean, that would deviate even from from Keynesian ideology that you're going to stimulate an economy by leaving employee prospective employers with less disposable income. So, it, look, this is trouble all the way around, and um, and then I'm very concerned about. I think we got to get. I think we need to drill down on two issues, and I don't see the focus, which is why I'm on overdrive. Number one, November three has to be resolved. All right. I, I don't understand the mindset of those who are turning the page on this, unless, as appears to be the case, they haven't reviewed the affidavits, reviewed the Navarro report, re- reviewed the Texas AG filing with SCOTUS, um, all of which raise alarming levels of both improprieties and fraud, and uh, and securing the 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 forums to have those addressed in the six targeted states and adjusting the popular vote. I mean, where is the leadership on this? Just to, to ask the obvious question. And then on, you know, on this issue of, you know, we're going to probably later this week, it looks like WHO is going to come out 
with another report that's going to validate why we get out of this China subsidiary organization in the first place um, that I think is going to try to, again, deviate the world's attention into suggesting that somehow this was in a, you know, a back to human transmission um, out of the bat caves or out of the wet markets um, when every indication is that this came out of this BSL-4 lab was created in Wuhan at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And this unanswered question about why in the world have we been funding this thing? And by we, uh, you know, I mean uh, Anthony Fauci and, uh, and his cohorts who, who, who for years were funding it. And uh, hey, if you want me to say something positive about the Obama administration, they found out about it and terminated it with a national security uh, memorandum. Um, and I think the second Obama term, and it somehow got sn snuck back in uh, during the Trump administration. And to my knowledge, to this day, no one has said, hey, do you think it might be a good idea not to be sending millions of American tax dollars into this seemingly insecure um, viral lab in a country that is increasingly hostile and appears to be involved in gain of function uh, research, which is about the most ominous and dangerous level of viral research that could be conducted more, much more commonly, let me just point out associated with, um, you know, with, with, with biotechnological warfare than you would see with traditional um, viral clinical research, which I think, in, you know, I mean, if you're going to speculate and since, you know, you'll see baseless put behind the argument uh, that this came out of the Wuhan lab, but I want to point out the fact that this came out of a wet market is also baseless. There's no facts to it. Uh, the CCP kept out WHO, they kept out the CDC, which Trump was trying to get in there in January 3. We had trillions of dollars of damage to this global economy. I'm not so sure this country will ever be the same. I mean, it's going to reemerge at some point. Uh, but now to be looking at a, at a you know, mutation of this virus possibly emerging in, on several different fronts, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure I can say for certainty that I see light at the end of the tunnel. You know, everything about this virus hasn't made sense from the beginning, and it just continues to to be spun by the media. And, and I think that's why there's a lot of people that are that are leaning towards the conspiracy theories on this stuff because none of it makes sense. The the, the ideas of of the way that the hospitals have been talked about as overwhelmed and and everything about it. There's definitely more to it. There's definitely also more to how China's influence operations that uh, our national intelligence report says was limited to lobbying by China, which is absolutely uh, a smack in the face laughable to people who understand what China does as far as lobbying in America. Um, there, there seems to be a tie to what the lobbying efforts were from China to this virus, the timing of the virus, how it affected the election. And, and the outcome of the election, but nobody really wants to have that discussion. And the, anytime you, you 
approach that, uh, it seems to be want to be silenced. It's very frustrating, man. Well, I am aware of some reporting that I think should be forthcoming on that shortly, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you know. What I'm looking forward to seeing what it is, and you got to you got to view everything. We got we need to uh, remain critical thinkers, which is you know you don't uh, buy into official explanations just because they're official explanations, and you don't discount them either. Yeah, uh, you know, and I think increasingly that is the propensity of most of the uh, conservative Tea Party MAG act activists in this country, but you got to, you know, you, you need to be careful uh, of it. I, sure. uh, what I, what I'm saying is you now have a CDC director who, uh, aside from breaking down in tears, which I don't think is necessarily sending the most um, positive message yeah. to national leaders. <laughs> exactly helpful. Yeah. A global, yeah, look, you know, I mean, uh, we've all been on the brink of them. So, and we just can think, confess, but, you know, there's an element of uh, public uh, positioning on these things. And the American people want to see strength in their leaders. And uh, they saw it in Trump for whatever concerns they may have had. Um, I don't think anyone felt that he was retreating, you know, into the Oval Office or the residents and, and weeping, you know, at the challenges that he's confronting. Sure. Um, and, you know, I understand the pressure. Don't get me wrong. And it's not even a partisan thing. I want the, I want the Biden administration to be successful. And we, we need to, we need to focus on that and have you, and have you do to web. I want them to be successful, but you know, you see the, these extraordinary conflicts and, you know, and, and, and on our side, where, like with Blinken in the Penn, University of Pennsylvania, I mean, where's the questioning on this stuff? I mean, we, you're just going to confirm this guy and not inquire about it? You know, and all these unanswered questions yeah. and the, um, you know, then Hunter Biden uh, story just continues to sort of unravel. But the people who have actually reviewed the laptop are themselves asking, where's the scrutiny of the Hunter Biden issue, my question back to them is, well, what did you, what did you find? You know, I mean, I don't, I don't quite understand that either. And I'm not seeing the follow-up on it. Um, on that point, I, I want to ask your opinion on, on president Trump's uh, uh, recent tweets with regards to Durham. I, I love, I, he has a trolling mind in him, the way he does things. And, and I want to believe that president Trump, knows that Durham has it all or at least enough to, to, to make ways criminally. And so president Trump comes out, comes out and says, where's Durham? Is he actually a thing? What's your take on that? Do you think he was trolling or do you, do you think that the odds of any of these people actually being held accountable will be based on their qualified immunity? Um, you know, do you think that we'll actually ever see anything come out of Durham? I think, it, you know, the, the point is well taken, but what I, what I've always been concerned with is um, in depicting sort of an outsider type leadership when he was president. I mean, now he is a legitimate outsider and doesn't really have influence in, in any way over the Justice Department, but he once did. Um, and, you know, and he was, you know, a, an, an appointee of the Trump administration and broad number of people they could have selected. 
And then, could this thing just be any more slow walked? And we're not getting any like explanation. No. And I just look back at the blown deadlines. I mean, this thing I can recall it because it was like last summer. It was you know definitely by Memorial Day. Well, no, a little bit of delay with pandemic, probably by July fourth. No, oh sorry, but Labor Day for sure. Mm-hmm. The idea that we you know entered that election with no information on Obamagate. And the and the federal investigation into criminal wrongdoing related to it, and no information as it related to Hunter Biden blocked uh, the New York Post's fine reporting, detailed objective, and oh by the way, nothing that they that they have recanted or or renounced or described as in any way, even a little bit inaccurate. So it hit hit you know with the, what's her name Miranda Devine yeah uh, is that her name at your post so, I mean, something like that yeah I think that's right yeah great reporter um, did a fantastic job fourth largest newspaper in the country founded I think by Alexander Hamilton right I mean this this paper goes back and yeah just the 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 obvious glaring. Uh, violation of their regulatory standing in taking that step. And then the, the polling that's emerged afterwards, particularly among Democrats, who were largely completely unaware of any issues related to these foreign payments to Hunter Biden, right? So, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I mean, those who were maybe gluing into centrist or center-right media outlets probably knew a little bit about it. But um, even now, to this day, following it, these things as closely as anyone, I think. Uh, I, do you know what the $3.5 million from the Moscow mayor's wife, a close ally of Putin, was for? I mean, has anyone even bothered to ask that question? No, we don't. We don't, don't. You're not allowed to ask those questions. You're not allowed to find out why. I mean, part of the absurdity of that, though. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> after after years of this, this obsession of of undue Russian influence in our electoral processes, millions of dollars arrive to a guy with no expertise in Russia, no real history of involvement in it, uh, yet. <laughs> Way of experience. Not a thing. I, I'm with you. And, let's um, uh, let's uh, transition uh, uh, topics here into yeah. into another and into another uh, thing that I really want to have. I want to do kind of an exercise with you that I think will be fun. Uh, let yeah. me just show the if I can figure out how to work my mouse. Uh, show the audience the article. So American Thinker article that came out yesterday or this morning, I believe it was, uh, by John Green, the real five laws of American politics. I figured we could have a little fun with this. Let me read them f- the first off and then we'll go through each one and just kind of get your take on this. It, it, he comes to an, an interesting conclusion that I think will be more important to have a discussion on, but I figure a quick little, you know, quick hit on each one of these would be interesting. Only a minority of citizens will ever vote. This is the official uh, American Political Science Association five laws of politics with the way that they see they see and view America's voting habits and uh, and outcomes based on uh, all kinds of you know statistics they like to hey, call them. news alert though before you proceed in case anyone questions my editorial lie the word lose is with one o. And that's a that's a courtesy find to the American thinker 
from uh, from Michael Johns. Give me a call. I'll be happy to help you. <laughs> so here we go. Only a minority of citizens will ever vote. Incumbents always have an advantage. It's rare for anyone to garner over 60% of the vote. Incumbents lose support during their term instead of lose. A little small error there. I will blame it on, on Microsoft's spell check. Parties tend to alternate in office. So this is an engineer who retired and studies political science now. Uh, he said, he says, shouldn't any field called political science have laws rather like those of physics that accurately model behavior? I'd like to propose an alternative to the political laws. Admittedly, they're still unperfect and not yet, or, and they're not 100% infallible. However, I believe you'll find them much more predictive of America's political behavior, our associated outcomes, and the mere observations. So the first one, he says, Democrats accuse Republicans of doing that which they've always done. Let's examine the evidence. Democrats claim that Trump's administration use of cages for immigrant children was a scandal. Their evidence consisted of pictures of children in cages taken during the Biden administration. Democrats accused Donald Trump of inciting unrest at the Capitol. They even impeached him for it. Yet Democrats such as Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, Ariana Presley, and Maxine Waters spent the summer of 2020 encouraging rioting of Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Perhaps the more notorious Hillary Clinton, though, though multiple cutouts of Perkins Coy LLP, Fusion GPS, and Michael Steele, Hillary paid Russians to fabricate evidence that Trump was colluding with Russia, Hillary colluded with Russians to affect the election, and in order to accuse Donald Trump of colluding uh, uh, with the Russians to affect the election. The, the first rule of only a minority of citizens will ever vote it's kind of more their goal based on uh, what they're trying to accomplish here than anything, I feel like. What are your thoughts on on the projection and the, the first rule of politics being no, less people will be involved in politics in general? Well, I, yeah, I mean, we've historically had uh, presidential turnouts, you know, in the 50, 60 percent. I mean, we're not a country that coerces or requires people to vote quite obviously so you know we're not seeing turnout like uh you know stalin's russia or uh, other totalitarian regimes um i you know and it's one of the concerns i have about the election we just went through is i want people to be enthusiastic about their participatory democracy and their role in it and i want them to feel confident that their vote matters because quite often you know I, know I know you can point to many examples where it ultimately doesn't on a you know on a, on a presidential race especially with certain states that seemingly are almost guaranteed to go one way or the other but on so many down ballot races you know even now uh, several races still undecided they're that close so it's important for people to get out and vote and you know, we want to drive that up but we don't want to drive it up <clears throat> through means of participation that lend themselves to fraud. Um, I think we safely can conclude that both the systems, the voting systems, need to go back to paper ballots. And the mail, the idea of these, of these mail-in ballots is just um, been, I mean, every single authority who's looked at it really in the United States, the states and abroad for decades has concluded it's the singular worst way to conduct an election from the standpoint of its propensity to being, um, you know, more inclined to uh, ease of voter fraud and, and manipulation. You're muted. 
Babe. Hey. Dang it. Um, <laughs> and they use, uh, you know, they use projection with regards to voter lo- voter rolls and voter laws as well to, to hide their true goal. The second rule, incumbents always have an advantage. And, the, and this gentleman says, when it's most recur- when it's most critical, Republicans never work as a team. Boy, I tell you what, that he nails it with that one right there, Michael. You and I have talked about this for the last year at least. On uh, we're just sick and tired of rhinos and uh, spineless Republicans. I mean, we we see it now with Christy Nome. No shortage of spineless Republicans not working together. Um, you mean with the. Um the uh the women's sports uh well as an example uh, of of just republicans not being you know president trump is right (laughs) chuck schumer and nancy keep them in line they they are very unified in in their at least their outcomes and maybe not in necessarily their agreement on the message but we can't get together uh you know a national tea party coordinator with, with uh, a high level Trump organization with, uh, with uh, the lobbyists that we need to, to help the message. We're all, all over the place as a, as a movement. We're not, we're not unified to the least. You know, and, and it's frustrating because it's not just that you're a hundred percent right in the observation, but it's not even like people are identifying that as a problem. You know, so when you, we walk through all of these issues, and this is so common in conservative and Republican commentary, is we, you know, we're still at the point where we're, we're like pointing out, aha, look, there's, there's media bias. Right. <laughs> there, there's drinking in this establishment. There's gambling <laughs> in this establishment. I mean, yeah, we established that like 10 years ago, you know? Brothers and sisters, we don't, you, you know, you can continue to point it out, but it's it's not advancing the ball. The media is not changing. Uh, those who have, who were inclined to be open-minded toward understanding these biases and even outright misrepresentations, um, like, like the New York Times on January 6th, for instance, and suggesting that there was a... Uh, law enforcement murder, which turns out to be untrue as they've subsequently acknowledged. Yeah. Uh, but look how that shaped the debate. Look what momentum that gave to that entire impeachment process. And, you know, families, it, it's, so all of these, so you can blame all of these obvious things, you know, yes, academia is pretty much owned by the left. Media is owned by the left. Hollywood's owned by the left. Pretty much any influential institution these days is been is is owned by the left. And then we've got this yep. whole attack attack culture out there that will measure and assess, you know, every word said by any prominent conservative. They they seek to tear down and and to even potentially misrepresent it. We don't have anything like that on our side, and. I would ask, as opposed to pointing out what is the obvious loss of these institutions, we should be asking ourselves, who on our side was responsible for the protection of these institutions? Because billions of dollars in donor money, in philanthropic foundation money, has gone into a lot of predominantly D.C. and New York City-based 
organizations who ostensibly were working on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I, uh, as close students of American public policy and politics, right now could not, for the life of us, tell you who is in charge of follow-up on these November 3 election allegations. Yeah, well, I see community has spoken. That's all that matters. The law of number three, a politicians assert that they are following the science, and yet they're using every one of these uh, disasters and, and pandemics and everything else to make sure they go after personal freedom. They use shootings to go after guns. They use speech to go after or hate speech, they call, to go after speech. They silence voices, and in the meantime, we're we're – we're talking about fake news, as you say. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're manipulating um, logical human emotion and reactions to events. Uh, their remedies never seem to match the actual crisis at hand. Even Obama would always famously say, you know, while these measures won't, wouldn't have solved the last murder, they, you know, they could solve the next one. Well, I'm sorry, that's not enough basis to uh, erode a God-given Bill of Rights that was the second one afforded us by our founding fathers. I would have a lot more respect, frankly, if they just came out and said, you know, our position as a party is to get rid of the First and Second Amendments, and we are going to be proceeding through, you know, state legislatures or through Congress, you know, the two avenues that have been made constitutionally available for them to do that, as opposed to us just sitting here every year and having another drip, drip, drip erosion on these hugely crucial fundamental rights. And I'd say first and second, just at the top of it all uh, as it relates, and you know, fourth important and, and the tenth important as it relates to what the federal government should be doing. Is there anything the federal government uh, you know, has consciously decided is not its domain? Is <laughs> no, no, that? they just because keep expanding. I, all you got to do is, you know, like glue into some of these hearings. I mean, they'll take on just seemingly anything, um, which is why I love I love the Enumerated Powers Act, which we haven't talked about in a few years. But every piece of federal legislation should have a preamble that discusses what or that that alliterates what part of the Constitution empowers the federal government to even be involved in that issue. If we did that, I think quite a number of pieces of legislation would more properly be in state capitals or maybe not government functions at all. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Law number four for, for um, uh, smart uh, political people. When the government offers to help, the best result is achieved by denying. That kind of leads right into what you were just saying there. Uh, the, it doesn't appear the government actually wants to fix anything. The last law, when politicians invest taxpayer money, the investors shouldn't expect a return on their investment of tax dollars. Uh, investments in education and training uh, for preschool, post-secondary school. Uh, the intent of the educational investment is to improve the skills of capabilities of the American workforce. While there's no evidence that increased spending does any such thing, my science and my statistics are always manipulated by the left to have more government programs that actually don't have any return on investment. They end up just canceling stuff like the Keystone Pipeline and the and the wall, which they just, you know, throwing money out into the wind. Well, look, our, um, firstly, there, there is no demonstrable co- uh, 
indisputable correlation between the amount of money spent on education and educational outcomes, all right? There are schools that develop reputations for excellence. There are schools that develop reputations for uh, horrific mismanagement and, uh, and poor schooling. Uh, the dilemmas in the poor schools are not always linked to funding, though sometimes they are. And the successful schools' success is not always linked to funding, though sometimes it's been helpful around, around the margins. You can put all the money in the world into a failed process or a failed curriculum or, or teachers and um, the school districts that, that have misguided ideas or unproven ones, and these systems won't be successful. And you can take parents out of the equation and almost guarantee that they're not going to be successful yeah. because, you know, a kid until the age of 18, at least, and even after that, in my judgment, at least is my parenting philosophy, um, benefits from the life experience of their parents. And, uh, you know, even if you get to the point where, you know, your kids know more than you do as they almost inevitably will about certain things. Mm -hmm. They can't ever match the life experiences and the lessons that you've learned through yours. And so what are the issues? Like, firstly, we had these, let me just take the ROI issue that you, you raised on, on the spending. Um, all right, so this 1.9, uh, you, you and I haven't spoken. We, we didn't speak since the last stimulus, so I didn't get your, your view on this, but yeah. I'm interested. I mean, uh, so so almost two trillion bucks, right? Going into this thing, we're we're pushing on ten trillion dollars. That's ultimately going to be spent as a result of the Wuhan pandemic, um, which is one of the reasons I believe uh, the Chinese Communist Party's got to be held responsible um, financially and otherwise. But um, you, hundreds of billions of dollars that are allocated into teachers unions uh, related to this. There's 50 to 60 billion last I checked from the last um, stimulus bill that hasn't even been spent yet. And by the way, not for lack of demand, but for lack of exactly how to spend it. So if you actually read the verbiage that exists in this you know, fairly lengthy bill, it is, it's not terribly specific as it relates to the allocation of these funds. And this is an extraordinary amount of money yep. that, you know, is, check. <laughs> you know, I've never been, um, you know, I'm a growth oriented thinker as it relates to the economy. And I, I, I am not one of these uh, guys who uh, feels there's no role for government. There's plenty of role for government and there's certain, a lot of things that only government can do, but, this is a complete misallocation. And as is widely reported, I mean, a very small percentage, roughly 10% of it has anything to do with the pandemic. So what, so my, to get to my, my question and point, you've had schools closed now for over a year. You've had colleges and universities closed for over a year. Taxpayers who paid for the full educational service of in-teacher you know, traditional schooling have not gotten what they paid for and what they're being charged for uh, in their property taxes or yep. if they're renting in their rent because it's all worked in anyway. Mm -hmm. And 
kids who've been uh, taking loans or had to you know pay for tuition and certainly have not been getting it. You have to, you're not getting it in, in a Skype lecture what you're going to get in, nope. in a hands-on professor and a campus experience. My question is not where are the hundreds of billions of dollars to aid these educational institutions, um, which apparently is where Nancy Pelosi's head was. My question is where are the, where are the, where are the refunds? Yeah. Where are, where's our money that we, uh, that we committed these, to, to through property taxes for you guys to, to do this to begin with. Right. I mean, so they, we've been charged, the taxpayers have been charged and, um, college students and graduate students have been charged for services that have been underdelivered. Now you can say, well, they've been 15% underdelivered, or maybe they've been 85% underdelivered. That's a legitimate debate, but to say, We've underdelivered our services, and oh, by the way, we we need hundreds of billions of dollars, a very considerable portion of that 1.9 trillion that's going to go into t predominantly teachers unions. Yep. Um, and we know why it's a political payoff for their support uh, for um, for uh, the big guy. You think they'll actually uh, shore up their pension funds with it, or you think? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, one of the singular best ways to shore up pension funds is to grow this economy and grow the market. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And to revamp uh, the system. We've, yeah. we've kind of had the perfect storm here in the way that you've had uh, growing demands on those pensions, early retirements. It's true. People who left the workplace now as a result of the pandemic because they're not really sure when things are going to reopen. Yeah. And, and, you know, and if we're headed now into a possible market correction of a significant in a significant way as 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 many a bright person believes and and an inflationary environment because that's always been in my judgment the real real risk of excessive spending firstly you can misallocate capital that's unfortunate because you're it's inefficient right sure um but the real risk is inflation. You just simply have too much money in circulation, um, you know, chasing uh, the same amount of goods. And uh, that's, you know, economics 101 for higher prices. I've never been one. I don't appreciate, nor do I, I like, and I, it's another area where I don't know why we're not calling out the um, how are we going to pay for it argument. That emerged from Democrats in the 90s as a rebuttal when they were losing the political debate over taxes and we were labeling them as tax and spend liberals and they didn't have any reply to it. Yeah. You know, then it, it's not a question that makes sense in a fiat currency system. That's what we're in. Um, now you can question, you can question that approach, but if you're going to question it, you need to question it with great specificity. And I've had discussions with some of the top macroeconomists and, um, and fat experts too. In, in DC, and I'm gonna tell you something, I, I really feel like there is a great deficiency of understanding of monetary policy on our side um, in Washington, DC. I mean, I don't, I don't think you're hearing any coherent explanation. It's the way what, economics is taught now, especially macroeconomics is very Keynesian. They don't, have, they don't allow um, the true economic uh, platform, the true economic principles to come through. And now you have all of them in, in 
positions of control. You're right, though. It's it's a it's a it's a big problem. Um, let's do a kind of an extended rapid fire with Joe. He's got about I think he's got about what do you got about ten or fifteen articles up, Joe, that uh, you kind of wanted to get to. Let's do a quick like um, as quick as we can get through this, and we'll just do a quick comment, and then we'll at the top of the hour we'll transition to another topic that I want to discuss, which is. Uh, what what in the world is happening to my freaking military? Uh, there, we have that coming up for you guys. And then the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about is two topics. Amazon is, uh, it looks like Amazon and the unions are trying to strong arm their workers into a union. So we, I want to talk a little bit about that. And a little story came out of nowhere about hackers access the emails of top Homeland Security officials. I want to get to that as well. But let me do me a favor. Let me get a quick 30-second intro to Joe's rapid-fire segment here. And then we'll uh, we'll try to just do, Joe, we'll just try to do quick uh, comments on each one of these. And then we'll, top of the hour, we'll take your guys' calls and move on to the next. Uh, let me do 30 seconds. Joe, there's the rapid fire opener. Tell us what you got in the in the uh, news today, bro. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I got quite a few things to go through. Uh, let me just start here. This was just uh, put out there. Actually, quite a few people reporting on it. This is actually out of WGN. But uh, Virginia man suffers rare severe reaction to COVID nineteen vaccine. Uh, look at this, just unbelievable. Uh, tons of discomfort. Yeah, tons of discomfort. Itchy rash. Uh, began to began to swell and my skin turned red. Um, so this is not so good, not so good. So I just right. saw. Well, let me just tell you where I I've been w- focusing on is uh, you know so clearly we have uh, at least three primary U.S. Um, vaccines. We got Pfizer, Smith Kline, and the uh, Massachusetts based Moderna. Uh, those three. Um, and others in the works. I'm predominantly very, I'm very concerned about the China manufactured ones, because let me just tell you what you, what has not been reported. I'm going to be writing on this in the next few weeks here. Um, They have not released any of their phase three trials, which is safety and efficacy. The efficacy rates that they reported to foreign markets where they're selling it. And by the way, they're selling it there, if you look at their market penetration in Latin America, it looks like they've got just about every country covered in Latin America. Um, yeah, know, I did looking, notice that South America has really barely any vaccines going there, and the the, the statistics are, are similar as well. Which is problematic with the border situation. Yeah, you know, so you know, if if you are uh, predisposed to sort of say that some sort of perfect storm is potentially amassing here. Um, I, you know, and, and given that we, we just, I got to repeat this like three times, the Biden administration is releasing into the homeland, into our homeland, into the, the inner land, uh, documentably, um, uh, individuals with, uh, with COVID, right? Yep. So, you know, it's like, here we go again, or they're putting them into the short-term housing, the same mistake that we just blamed five Democrat governors for doing 
I don't see a whole lot of distinction there either. Yeah, I mean, exactly. This, this, this looks like this one was the Johnson and Johnson vaccine in in Virginia. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye on this. Basically, every day we get a... about that. Who's asking Saki to explain why we are releasing COVID positive foreigners into the American homeland um, without? Apparently, any concern of the ramifications from that? Just did an <laughs> article simultaneously locking down, destroying our economy. Now, apparently, recommending what double masks? It's. Masks. I don't think they actually want to solve the problem. That's for sure. And every day, Joe, we see, we keep seeing some of these vaccine reports come in, and it's 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 starting to get worrisome. Go ahead. What's what do you have next on the list? Yeah, and the, the other, just one final point on the China vaccines, uh, because that's those are vaccine. I per I would not feel comfortable with these China vaccines. I mean, so the third, where, why are they not releasing their uh, phase three trials? That's question one. They have not made any of their executives from any of their biopharma candidate uh, um, companies who've manufactured these available for any media questioning or interviews. Uh, very common of their behavior traits, but equally concerning. And then the third issue is that we've um, these these phase trials are almost always peer reviewed. That's the common global method. It's not an American thing. It's a global methodology that's employed. And these haven't been. Yeah, there's something like 50% of the people that were coming over uh, the border uh, in Texas there uh, have been infected. Just unbelievable numbers. So this was out of the U.S. Customs and Border uh, Protection. Uh, C- CBP field operations seized a substantial amount of meth worth over $8 million at far international bridge in texas eight million dollars worth of meth man every Just day they've been un- having a big boss at the board believable 421 pounds of drugs were seized off a tractor trailer unbelievable well, the ratio and we need to understand the ratios because you can look at the stuff that's intercepted um and the rebuttal of course as well hey thank god we got that but you know as the intercepted amounts of uh, meth, fentanyl, opioids, um, cocaine, other drugs go up. The amount that is not being intercepted is also going up. And when you overwhelm a border like we're inviting to happen right now, right? Yep. Because no doubt our- about it. It's just it's they don't really want to stop it. Go ahead, Joe. Well, those are always the, that's exactly what I'm thinking too, Michael, in the back of my head is, yeah, this is great. This is a huge bust, but which ones uh, are they not catching? That's the downside to this whole thing right now. Next one I got for you is out of the daily caller, us strategic command, Twitter access by a very young child. So things are going really well over there at the us strategic command uh, stratcom. Uh, it seems that uh, a kid somehow hacked in and, and typed in LGMLXZSSAW. <laughs> this is, I mean, it's no surprise really to me. Incredible. That is just absolutely incredible. It, I saw it's today unbelievable. That, sorry, Joe. I saw today that they, they're, they're going to uh, put it suspended. Who, that who authored that article? I got to drop them a note of congratulations. This is out of her, uh, Christopher Tremogli. Yeah. Uh, well, look. Daily uh, Wire. Again, not the, you know, so we've got about 
half a dozen major um, adversarial forces in the world that have proven pretty much universally successful in being able to, to access things. They, you know, I mean, China, I keep coming back to it, but they've done so much, you start to forget about it. They um, stole all the presidential personnel clearance files, including my own, uh, in their hack of the PPO office. That means every individual's clearance file. So I've like, I, for instance, have never seen my clearance file is in the hands of the CCP in Beijing. And then they hack the um, Equifax credit um, agency, mm -hmm. which is interesting because, you know, very commonly um, when they go to recruit uh, individuals or to bring people into, under their wing, uh, or, to, or to even recruit foreign agents, you look for individuals that are experiencing financial problems or, um, you know, have unusual sets of financial circumstances. And that's an extraordinary amount of information. And, and those, those are two institutions that should have been guarded to the T. Yeah, Russia, think they're course, still using still some things. Yeah, and, still using their their '80s computer technology because they think it's safer. The funny thing about this story was there was a bunch of meatheads saying that that was nuclear codes. All, anyways, go ahead, Joel. I'm not I even know. gonna. I know I didn't even get to that part. I just well, think... I mean, I saw like semicolons, commas. <laughs> I mean, the fact that the kid hit it and was nailed it is just. Uh, it's a, that's, you know, the, the, the mega eight ball. <laughs> right. Exactly. It cracks me up. Yeah. Somebody accidentally tweeted the nuclear code. Yeah. Launch Whoops. code. That's what it was. This is uh, just a quick follow-up uh, Illinois Valley times. This is in my area here. I uh, lay sale. Um, this, this story I want to keep following up on because Sue Razin uh, out of Morris is doing a fantastic job. She's now received more than 2,300 documents about the lay sale veterans home COVID-19 outbreak in November. This was a couple of days ago, but I just wanted to touch on this because she's not backing down on this and hopefully we get to find out exactly what happened there. So just a quick follow-up there. Well, this also, reporting is, is hugely important and, and, and yeah. the common sense was dictated from day one. Uh, and by the way, I support largely Trump's management of the pandemic. I mean, you know, the big errors of judgment were done by the people who are still engaged in our governmental processes. I mean, if Fauci, to my math, had most, maybe not all, but most of his judgments were wrong. He was wrong first on masks. He was wrong yeah. on, on the magnitude of the pandemic. He was wrong in trusting China, his colleagues, as he called them, in China. He was wrong on the travel ban. Um, and now he's out. I think you know. I don't. I don't know if you guys saw the sixty minutes or CNN interviews, but these seem to be fundamental misrepresentations by this guy designed to uh, cover up for this inexcusable wrongdoing. Yeah, and this easy to Peter point Dazak, Have you been following him? He's our uh, this guy with the Yekko Health Alliance. I think he's a British national, but he's our designee now to the World Health Organization. Yeah. Has all kinds of conflicting. Uh, relationships with China financially yeah, I, I sure. and was and was also Michael. behind was uh, also behind the funding of the Wuhan Institute of Virology uh, four minutes to the top of the hour let's uh, let Joe finish off these articles and then we'll uh, reset at the top of the hour go ahead Joe 
Well, we talked about Laura Trump yesterday or Laura Trump yesterday uh, going with Fox. Now, Kaylee McEnany, or however you pronounce her last name, is now uh, also named to Fox News Channel as a co-host. So this is kind of interesting. I'm not sure exactly what to take on both of them joining within the last two days, but definitely interesting. Definitely good to see that happening. Um, You know, Fox has gotten a lot of bad, uh, (laughs) you know, a lot of not I don't I don't want to say bad coverage, but um, yeah, they basically had some bad coverage, so a lot of people stopped watching them, and now they, sure they, they lost a lot of viewers there. Um, yeah, and it it seems more related to the daytime programming. You know, look, I'd like Fox News Channel, and I've appeared many times on Fox and on Fox Business. Uh, still think highly of of most of what they do. Um, you know, great prime time programming. A lot of the daytime programming is still very good. Um, and, and so Kaylee had a, a, I guess, a contributor relationship with Fox News weeks ago. That, well, that was almost a, mo- a month or two ago. Yep. And so it looks like they're going to give her uh, a co-host role now. Yeah, now this is going to be an outnumbered. Uh, that's starting uh, April 6th. So looking forward to seeing that. We've been discussing Miramar quite a bit, and I just wanted as kind of an update, uh, Miramar now cracked down uh, – death toll passes 520. Um, so again, there's a lot going on there in Miramar. Uh, we could probably discuss that for another hour, but I just wanted to touch on an update on that as well. Uh, well one, a lot of testing of uh, Biden early on. I mean, it's cre- clearly North Korea's test. Yeah. You know, the dressing down from Tiger Yang was a, was a test. Yep. Uh, the Myanmar uh, coup was you know, compli- you know, a, a correlation of factors, but in some ways a test. A lot of, uh, you know, the the maneuvers by Turkey, by, by things going on in Syria, uh, obviously with Iran, which yep. uh, is still an immense threat. Lots going on there, absolutely. I, I was surprised at this. March 30th, 1981 was uh, the assassination attempt of President Reagan. I can't believe it's been that long already. I was ready to go to physical fitness uh, practice. I was on a physical fitness team in addition to three or four, three sports that I played. And, and I just sat there glued to the television. And I find that an interesting date because I would say it was very close to around the origination of my intrigue with American politics. And I remember him being taken to George Washington Hospital Emergency Room, which by the way, I think was renamed for him. I think it was Reagan Emergency Room, yep. uh, that which is great. And uh, you remember him leaning out the window and uh, the joking of, uh, I forgot the duck and the good humor he brought to that ugly situation. And on a personal note, I had the uh, neurosurgeon who did the surgery on Jim Brady um, do my cervical spine surgery, uh, which failed and had to be redone. So thanks. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. Just real quick. This just came out there. I got two more to cover. Uh, First dog major involved in another biting incident. That's right. The three old German (laughs) shepherd was out for a walk when he bit someone. This is the second reported occurrence the last thing i wanted to cover real quick uh was the brits I, I was on i just give you a quick a quick point on that the brits find it interesting that we call our dogs major and they compare and they find it intriguing the comparison between the british the, the name of british dogs and the uber uh, masculine alpha names that we uh, give our male dogs <laughs> 
Uh, I'm going to pass on commenting on that, but listen, <laughs> listen to this, what Jen Saki says. Special relationship. <laughs> I, I have a hard time following anything that Jen says, to be completely honest What's with the you. the over under on her political survival in this way? Now? I can't believe she's lasted this long, yeah, uh, but I am glad to finally see some reporters actually feeding her, um, not feeding her, but I mean, as we know, most of the you know, questions are fed, but this, this you question, 1.7 thousand down downs and 146 uh, up. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to cover that as well, Michael, watch this. And then let me know what you guys think about this. My question, sorry about space. Uh, you know, the Biden administration, they just announced its intention to retain the national space council. And this is on top of the white mm-hmm. house voicing its support for the space force. Yes. This Artemis program. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are three programs or policies that, President Trump and the Trump administration put in place. So would it be fair to say that space is one of the, and space policy is one of the few areas where President Biden actually agrees with his predecessor? I think that, that sounds accurate to me. You know, what's amazing though here is, um, I mean, this woman was also, you know, in the, uh, in the uh, Obama administration, a spokesperson at the yeah. state department. What I thought I didn't think she was very effective. I, and by the way, I hate to disparage people in this profession because it's very difficult. No, I, I, I uh, agree. I agree. I just, but... I, just ne- I just, I, I, you know, I just, I never sensed that she had the depth of geopolitical, no, or even geographic or historical expertise. And I could name some people on our side who've been in those capacities, yeah. um, you know, that I, I felt the same about. But you, know, you know, the, the space security debate is one of the most important national security issues confronting us right now. China and Russia, both immensely aggressive uh, in all kinds of ways. And, you know, this is, I guess, not the first, I, I can recall the first time she was asked about it. And, you know, it somehow was, you know, some, some response atta- that she attached this levity to, as if there's some joke about the fact that we've got um, you know, satellites, we've got the ability to, to coordinate and track, you know, on the ground forces. I don't want to go into all the technologies, but let me just say that, you know, you lose the battle for space, um, you're going to lose the battle of the seas and the land as well. Exactly. And uh, Trump was absolutely right to be putting a considerable amount of f- uh, focus on space force. I'm so glad that he did. And I completely agree with you. It's funny you mentioned, I just had a graphic up from YouTube in response to creator feedback uh, around well-being and targeted dislike campaigns. We're testing a few new designs that don't show the public dislike count. So just to kind of uh, go off of what you said, uh, the majority of videos that either, you know, Saki or anybody really in, in, in Biden's entire team uh they get a lot more dislikes than they do likes uh so it looks like youtube will be kind of curving that um which is pretty funny that's pretty much the rapid fire i got for you guys today back to you brother uh the advertisers playing stand by one minute
Attire. USA.com is the exclusive show sponsor to Brothers Uncensored Show and welcomes Michael Johns here with us here today. Check out Rise Attire, USA.com, discount code ABEWAVE, A-B-E-W-A-V-E, and you can get some awesome gear and some cool stuff, and check out Rise Attire, USA.com in a minute. Oh, my God, these freaking buttons. I got shit everywhere, and I just, I, I need to... I need to put it all like right here so I don't have to go like this and figure out where the hell I'm at. I'm working on it. <laughs> it's on the list. It is already on the list. That way all I got to do is play stuff. Anyways, check them out when you guys get time. Uh, premature clickage on the uh, on the advertisement, but nonetheless, appreciate you guys very much. Oh, my God. <laughs> you guys have no idea how hard I work to make sure that the production of the show just goes off smoothly. And when I, oh, it just irks my last nerve. All right, where was I? <laughs> um, Tammy Dugworth, who I cannot freaking stand. It's clear to me that she has lost her freaking mind after the, what happened to her in the military. And no offense, it is what it is. Uh, you just got to call it out for what it is. It's clear she has something very mental wrong with her. Uh, she is now suggesting that the Pentagon find ways to examine social media habits and incoming existing service members who have a tendency towards extremist views. Now, if you know Tammy Duckworth, you know that anything left of Lenin is extremist for this moron. And the fact that she is now tasking the Pentagon with, with finding people who she defines as radicals in the military currently... Also, that before they're able to join, and then creating algorithms with a predictive outcome based on their social media efforts. This is dangerous at its core. It's it's beyond moronic as far as the readiness of our military, and it limits who is going to help save us in the future. Do we want people like Tammy Duckworth making sure that our country is safe going forward in the country? Is she going to help? Obviously not, because she's doing everything she can and has done it since she since she got elected to uh, undermine our U.S. military and undermine the VA. I cannot stand Tammy Duckworth. Our countries that are already more regimented than the military, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot of room for individual deviation, and there's a lot of screening, and there's a lot of training. And there's a lot of oversight. Uh, it just hardly seems to me that we're confronting any measurable uh, crisis as it relates to some sort of perceived fifth column emerging in our uh, military forces. And this is another example of turning a huge, as you, as you were alluding to, a hugely and a crucially important institution potentially into some giant social experiment in all kinds of different ways. Um, and I've seen some of these trends in corporate America as well, where uh, you know the, the, the traditional metrics of success, in the case of the military, the ability to, you know, the, what was the old phrase, kill people and break things, you know, that you know, ultimately the, the force and, the, and the, uh, the, the preparation and, and ability to confront uh, 21st century threats maybe fight and win two wars simultaneously, even if necessary. Those are the things that we want to be focused on. And in my judgment, any American, and by the way, I'd say this regardless of gender, I know that's a controversial issue, but I'm a believer that, you know, any man or woman who can contribute to those ends and meet the 
the threshold for admission, uh, you know, we want to welcome them into our, our military and make it a welcoming institution and make it even a career path for them. But this idea that somehow we're just going to deviate from the mission of the military and start, you know, developing some sort of ideological exclusion of, half, of seemingly half the country, which is where I think they're headed. And maybe more than that, when you think about in terms of military recruitment, allegiances and alliances and the magnitude of popularity that Trump had with the military, say, versus Obama, it was considerably higher. Um, they both had support. And, 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 and I think your typical service man or woman would say, you know, I serve the country and the commander in chief, whoever it is. It's, I mean, it, it, we, we saw what happened during the Obama administration when they targeted America's top generals who, who were the most experienced career generals. They're now targeting NCOs and the leaders that, of the generation that we really need to, to make sure they stay in the military. They're basically they're getting them out of the military. It's, this is a, a, a national security threat that's not being addressed in a serious matter by this government, and it's, it's just it's disaster waiting to happen. It's ridiculous, Michael. Well, look, and, and you know, doesn't it really all come, you know, it's, you, you just look at the kind of discussion we're having today versus the discussion we would have had a year ago where we felt we had an administration that um, may have had a lot of initiatives that they needed to take up, things they needed to get around to, but at least they were, you know, receptive and open-minded as it related to making those fixes. And there was no just no denying their commitment to the American military and its strength. And now you just sort of look at it and say, well, you know, are they in fact really uh, committed to it? Because, you know, we're, we're 60 some days into this. I'm not seeing a lot in the way of pronouncements on anything on, you know, the major a major uh, threat threats that we have. We just got done talking about the the, the you, know, you know disparaging of space defense that they've been through. Um, you know this focus, this continual focus. By the way, on Af I don't know where you are on this, but on Afghanistan, Syria, and Iraq, um, does it take those three? I I, I just think is uh, you know there's a limit to what we can do in those countries, and we've. We've been in Afghanistan since 2001. We've been in Iraq since 2003. Trump took out ISIS completely as he promised he would do. Al Qaeda has been diminished, but they're not gone completely. That's a global force, not just an Afghan-based force. And the Taliban in Afghanistan is an institutional political reality, okay? So you can negotiate with the Taliban, you can try to devise, as I think should be the case, a federalist solution to the structure of Afghanistan, where power isn't quite as centralized and as decentralized to accommodate for differing viewpoints that have contributed to civil conflict. But also, and, and you can obviously do all this development work that we've been doing for 20 years over there, but you, you sort of reach the point where uh, Afghanistan's got to take care of Afghanistan. Right. I mean, like if it's not now, when is it? Is it 2040, 2060? I mean, I, I just don't think the American people have the patience for it. And simultaneously, uh, not to be the, just beating the same drum, we need to realign the American military to confront a really serious emerging threat in the, um, uh, the, the People's Liberation Army, the PLA of China. 
and the work that the, what they're up to in the South China Sea, what they're up to with this, um, you know, uh, One Belt One Road initiative. Um, yep. Too long of a conversation to get into. Some very dangerous things. And by the way, if you're an environmentalist, you might want to take a look at what they're doing to the coral reefs in the South China Sea, because I can't think of anything that's more uh, egregiously anti-environmental than that uh, at the moment, and so consciously anti-environmental. There right? is there is examples of that all through Africa. What they're doing in northern Afghanistan, they're basically raping the the land of all of their materials, whatever they can find. They're taking it all. They did the same thing in Africa, and it's. I, you know, for somebody who claims to be an environmentalist and, and, and the left is, seems to have a strong stance on this, you would think they would have a united stance against China, but they, I, well, I don't know. Just to, just to give you a quick, I'm going to really give you a quick summation because I think it's important that, that your audience un, understand, and maybe, maybe some of them do, but, you know, we've been engaged in our foreign aid heavily since World War II, Marshall Plan, and everyone kind of learned that, all right, okay. And, and, and every year we've given away, you know, extraordinary sums of money. Um, largely, the results on it have been mixed. I mean, in cases of immense crisis, we've been very constructive and helpful. But as far as contributing to the ongoing development of these countries and their self-sufficiency, it's been almost like the permanent welfare state of the United States, much less successful. China, meanwhile, has gone into these countries in very corrupt ways in, in many cases, cut deals with payoffs to leaders who have been more than happy to take it, then gotten these countries hooked into, you know, long-term debt agreements that traps. To, fund their own develop, to fund their own development projects, China developed projects in these countries, and then held their, um, you know, some of their key national assets and infrastructure as collateral when they don't make the uh, principal and interest payments on these projects, which quite honestly, the people themselves would almost certainly never have approved in the first place if they knew about it. Yep. And there have already been cases, and you can look at uh, maybe with Mombasa and Kenya, Kenya perhaps, a good number of these examples where you, and it's the same is happening in Latin America, it's happening in the Caribbean. Uh, you, their influence in Africa is unprecedented. They've got a major communications capability in Africa. And they've reached the point where they have their investment and control of key infrastructure like electrical grids is so great that they can turn the lights out on countries. You know, ultimately, that's where it's headed. Yep. Uh, and that's going to be an incredible amount of, of political leverage they're able to bring on they're the country. Doing, they're doing it in South America. They're doing they're doing it all around the world. And now they got Italy involved, which scares the shit out of me too. We got a first caller in here. Let me bring them in here. Joe, any thoughts from uh, com- thoughts comments from chat while I'm getting the uh, Zoom call set up, please? Uh, now you're muted. <laughs> Tons of great people out there. Tons of great comments out there. Really appreciate everyone's comments. 719, I see you're on the air. What's your name, please? 719, area code, you there? What you got? Come on. Yeah, come on. If you could just mute the stream 719 and then you'll be able to hear us better. Oh, can you hear me? Gotcha. Just mute the stream. Mute the stream. Okay. Um, I'm only on the phone call. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. What's your name, yes, please? Yes, I can hear you. What's your name, please? 
I'm getting uh, a lot of feedback. You got to mute the stream or something in the background. Sorry. Try that and call back in a minute, please. Yeah, that's hard when you got that feedback. I wonder how he's getting that feedback, though. I'm not sure. It's frustrating, though. Um, it, it's got to have the stream on in the background or it's on speaker or something like that. You can't. Uh, you either have to have a headset on or a speaker or a, uh, not have it on speaker. I apologize for that. Uh, if you can get that worked out, um, let me know. When you guys call in, please just make sure you mute the stream um, as soon as you see me bring you into the Zoom room. Uh, that way you can... Uh, <laughs> Well, we can make sure we hear from you. Apologize for that. All right, let me get to the next one. Um, so my daughter put herself through college, uh, then didn't wasn't allowed to graduate uh, because of COVID, um, and now she's trying to find work in the veteran vet, veterinarian uh, industry. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know what they call it. Anyways, you um, mean didn't have her her um, you know her graduation ceremony because of the yeah. Pandemic? They did it virtual like six, like three, three months my ago. Son, they did a my virtual. son too. Uh, still isn't had it. I don't know if he's going to have it. Yeah. It's frustrating. And she worked her butt off to get there. And, and uh, now my other, my daughter and my son-in-law too, same thing with them. And, and they just don't get to celebrate it. Like they should for the hard work they've had. Uh, in the meantime, they're, you know, they're working in other jobs for, and so just to, to get to the idea of what I'm trying to talk about here, Amazon, um, weak attempts to correct dangerous labor conditions shows its dedication to exploiting blue collar workers. Amazon uses leftic pol- leftist politicking to provide damage control for its clear pattern of dangerous and derogatory working conditions in its facilities all around the world. Not only are they using its power to censor and deplatform. Uh, people it doesn't agree with, but the corporate giant also engages in influence, which claims to dedicate to improving lives and financially supporting leftist movements such as Black Lives Matter, for instance, to provide ten million, for, ten million bucks they put in. Yeah, deal. to provide for damage control for its clear time. pattern of dangerous and derogatory working conditions in its facilities all around the world. Um, the of course Jeff Bezos and what he's doing with. Uh, with Washington Post and with Amazon, you can argue is uh, a version of of uh, monopolistic matters that should be addressed by our Justice Department and our our uh, you know crediting offices and the rest that actually have uh, you know regulations on these things. I'll wait for those things to get to talked about. There's been plenty of talk about addressing the monopolies with this, but man, what when you have a so Bezos finally just announced his retirement, I think, uh, with the quarterly earnings in the last report. So he's going to be moving on probably, you know, into yeah. more activism. Well, he's on the board. Yeah, he's going to stay and on I, the I board of it. And... I don't anticipate any fundamental cultural shift. In exactly. this, but I, I do have a few thoughts on Amazon. I mean, number one is uh, I hope these are reasonable ideas. But, you know, $10 million they put into BLM, and uh, obviously we've had uh, extraordinary um, damage, uh, you know, exceeding a billion dollars, some say as high as $2 billion from those riots in the, in the streets. The precise communities that they, if you give them the benefit of the doubt, probably thought they were helping when they gave that $10 million. I think Amazon needs to step up, as do the other companies. Uh, Daily Signal, for instance, put an article out on on corporate donors uh, to BLM. They need to take step up and take responsibility for the damage that was done in part with the resources they provided. That can't be thrown on taxpayers on top of all of the disruption, violence, 
aggravation and property damage already that's been you can't then turn around and say okay now you got to like pay to repair it all um i think you have to go back to these big corporate donors and amazon i believe was the largest of the bunch and ask them to kick in that's thought one thought two is that the pandemic has created two economies um which kind of builds on a theme that it was already a troubling one even before the pandemic and that is the struggle that small business and community businesses were having and surviving uh they don't have the economies of scale they don't have the pricing they don't have the, the diversified markets that you know large come their larger competitors do and we went through this debate when walmart started moving into communities where a lot of these companies were blown out put out of business uh with with discounted pricing and then once they were put out of business you know prices went up uh, and the community ended up not better off for it they ended up you know with fewer employees and with pricing that wasn't really any any cheaper and then you know there's success stories as well so i don't want to oversimplify it i mean and um and and you know walmart's existence is a positive not a negative thing but they have been a beneficiary as has amazon of this pandemic and i we're now going to turn and say you know whose responsibility is all this thing and you see the the legislation is being put together by Biden now, which is going to come after taxpayers. Um, I think, you know, the, the logical payer fair share argument, which always was kind of a troubling comment because it wasn't really specified, might apply in this case. Payer fair share, you were a beneficiary of this because of your business design. You may not be next time, uh, might be a different threat to the, the economy, at which point you'd be a beneficiary. But I think they have to hold disproportionate levels of responsibility, um, you know, for the revenue generation that they're anticipating deriving here and be helpful to the sort of local um, community-based companies that have been so heavily victimized uh, by these pandemics, and then the you know the final thing is I'm sure you well know where the absurdity of the of the, the duality, the hypocrisy in the administration of standards, where you had shutdown orders that applied to, you know, one retail store because it was a singularly owned store, probably with very little or no lobbying presence uh, in D.C. versus the largest company by revenue in the world that has extraordinary government relations resources. And the latter is open for business 24 seven and the former's closed. How in the world is that a fair arrangement? Yeah. How is that even, a, it's another one, it's, I have this long list of questions that even as a hugely well-educated following right. consumer of these developments, is baffling to me because I don't understand. It's like, I don't understand the other side of the argument, really. Well, uh, you you're, you're using you your justify brain. justify that policy to me? You're, you're using your brain. That's the problem, number one. Number two, uh, you should probably read Agenda 2030 and what the goal of the Great Reset yeah. is, and we're watching it happen right now. We're in the reset. Yep. The reset's for real. They're trying it. They're trying it right now. They're going for it because they know they yeah, only just, have two years. 
And just real quick, Kimberly uh, Watson out there says, very sad to see all these mom and pop shops and restaurants go down all while Amazon, Walmart, and the rest make billions. The restaurant she worked for is now closed. Indeed. That's, you know, that's the sad are, part. Some of these are, um, you know, for a lot of people like restaurants or local bars, you know, they, they kind of like become such important parts of the community. They're like gathering points yeah. and you have memories and, you know, events and they're very involved in the community in many cases. Um, sometimes they've been around for generations, parents, grandparents have been going there and, and, you know, a good number of them are just never going to emerge. And you know, that, that in are going to come the big box stores and the big chain restaurants that are going to replace them, but it's not the same. Indeed. Uh, I think we have 719 trying to get in here once again. Make sure the stream is muted. Uh, 719, can we try this again? What's your name, please? Hey, this is uh, Texas Bear 77. Uh, Texas Bear, good to see you, sir. How are you? There we go. No oh, echo now, good. Texas Bear. Good to hear from you. Check, the truck, the truck check this out, Joe. Check this out. Uh, I took my earbuds out and just I'm just holding the phone up to my ear. I mean, that's about the only thing we can do. Huh. It sounds great. Um, something is going on with earbuds and uh, computer systems or whatever. Anyway, Joe, just to let you know, what you were thinking about last night, prayers are being sent out. Now, don't don't say anything. Don't, please. Just prayers are being sent out. Anyway, your guest, <clears throat> amazing, amazing. Um, my question for him is, what are we looking at in the future? I mean, seriously, what are we looking at? It's a great question. What do you think, Michael? Well, that's a good one. And my my guidance to everyone is uh, let's not be on the sidelines looking. Let's be engaged uh, to the extent possible. Um, I see a number of, of, um, of crises right in front of us. Um, number one is the, the maybe the most controllable one, and that is restructuring the Republican Party to really align it with the MAGA agenda which I think has put immigration, China, and trade at, uh, in, back into a party that had not really put a lot of focus on it for decades and has allowed us to reconnect uh, and to be the party of working uh, men and women uh, and of the working poor and, and the working middle class. I think we have the solutions. I think Trump made great progress on that. But we got to solidify it within the party. This can't be a party of consultants you know, and lobbyists and things of that nature, or we're not going to resonate or identify with the American people and we'll deserve to lose like we did in my judgment in 2012, which was a very winnable presidential race. Um, we've got to get engaged in this process. I'm intrigued by the precinct project, um, which probably yeah. could be a little more aggressively managed, but just to give you a sign of how dysfunctional the Republican National Committee operationally is even though it's got the greatest idea it's we i think we have the best ideas but operationally you get four hundred thousand committee men and women that are supposed to be the kind of the foundation the ground level of this party and and the representatives of it half of them two hundred thousand, are vacant and i guarantee if you go deeper into it you're going to probably find you know county 
um, leadership vacant in some places. And, and, and you're not getting the advertisements or acknowledgement out of the Republican National Committee regarding this that's that you would expect would reflect the urgency of filling these positions. And the logical explanation is that they don't want to see conservatives or MAGA or Tea Party activists you know, getting involved at that, at that level. But that is what we have to do. Uh, this is this is who the party is. We're not like facing, in my judgment, a battle with any coherent ideology outside of the parameters of this grassroots movement. I mean, we're it's it's us, and then yeah, it's like lobbyists and consultants. Um, we've got to educate, um, you know, on a in a consistent, understandable, coherent, and accurate way. All right, meaning our credibility is really important. Uh, the American people want to know the truth. They're mature enough to deal with the truth. Um, and we need to deliver it to them and we need to attach it with actionable items. You know, so you look at a good number of things that we've talked about here and I floated a few questions and a few ideas that you probably could write a memorandum on like what we would actually do as a result just of this one particular show. Uh, and I'm sure that's probably true of almost all of these. Yeah. We need to coordinate better, all right? This, I understand that most conservatives are individualists, but this is a collective undertaking, you know? Um, and one of the decisions I made when I first entered it in my late teens was to be accessible, um, to be non-judgmental, to be Big Ten oriented, and to focus on the big challenges of the moment, and not to allow petty little things to get in the way. But you know, we need everyone really in in that capacity. I think we have a leadership crisis. Uh, Trump is a leader of the party. I affirm that and I acknowledge that. I hope he runs again in 2024. I hope he's got a big presence in 2022. But one man's not going to say this. It's going to take a lot more than that. Um, and then I think we've got to pick our battles, right? Don't get distracted. Uh, that's kind of what I was re referencing as it relates to what I see as some real alignment in the 21st century geo-strategic, geo-economic, geopolitical battle between China and the United States. Is This last month has been a really important one, and we've I'm not so sure we've been engaged like we need to and we need to resolve this november 3 election okay so that just means by resolve that um i take the navarro report the base which is based on affidavits which are evidence by the way in case anyone doesn't know what an affidavit is susan wasnacki uh, doesn't from youtube she has no clue what evidence is go ahead yeah so you know, affidavits were developed for the purpose, for only one singular purpose, to be used as evidence in courts of law as an affirmation under a penalty of perjury of facts that either were witnessed or experienced. And these are a lot of them immensely compelling. And, you know, we had to ask ourselves, do we have the best people out front on that issue too? Because kudos to all of these, you know, you know, kudos to Mike Liddell and all of this stuff. But you know, might like a lot. There's a lot of people on our side who've like spent their whole life learning election law. Even I don't profess to be an expert on it. Um, we're, what we're relying on people that are just patriots with research is because we don't have a structure 
the, the kind of managerial organization that you would associate with even a corner store, much less a political movement that we all contend has to prevail for literally America and Western democracy to, to prevail. So I, I don't think well, the, I don't think our actions. Again, I'll just give you one final thought. When I ask people about leadership in American politics on our side, and I say, well, you know, like who are you liking, following, taking guidance from? I'm hearing filmmakers, authors, uh, radio hosts. Um, I'm not hearing the people that are doing and organizing the kind of work that allows us to succeed politically. And that includes even in elected officials with, with the way Congress is structured, way too much power in the leadership, way too much focus on the fundraising and not enough attention on all of the other components of political activism and especially you know, the actual meeting with people, um, which is like, if you're have some aversion to that, it's probably not the best <laughs> undertaking or field for it, but we have to be out. And, and I mean, and I don't mean out meeting with people who already agree with us. We need to be in Baltimore. We need to be in, you know, um, Northeast Philly. We need to be in Detroit. Um, we need to be in Watts. We need to be in, um, you know, all of these areas that are being ill-served by decades of Democrat reign and listening to their concerns, not even talking, but start with listening and then coming back with solid solutions and asking them what they think of them. We, I'm telling you, this country is looking for leadership and this is going to be a multiracial, diverse movement uh, that's going to be different than the party and movement before. Um, and we're gonna, and our focus is going to be on 21st century challenges. Good, good, good response. Um, my question is also, and I'll go ahead and because you could talk probably 15, 20 minutes on this. You could probably talk 15, 20 minutes on this. Gotcha. Go ahead. Okay, that's my phone acting up for some reason. Oh, gotcha. But, okay, okay, no problem, Abe. Um, I guess the next question would be, and it's going to be a two-part question. What can we do? What should we do? What the F is going on? I mean, this is, it's historical. What we're going through is historical. They have never stolen an election like this. They have never just totally demeaned one man that's trying to lead our country into the light. I mean, what what can we do? What should we do? What should we not do? I mean, please, just just a question. Well, when you really, firstly, on the resolution of November 3, uh, I felt from the very beginning, and I think this has been affirmed over the last few months, so I feel even more strongly about it, 
the resolution is in the state legislatures. It's not in the courts. I don't. I just don't think, and it's certainly not in federal courts. I just don't think they're predisposed to want to deal with the with these issues. And even with the Texas AG's filing, which had um, a good number of other states that that joined uh, as uh, co plaintiffs or as um, in other capacities in support of it. They, um, it, when you really look at it, they were asking courts to hear evidence on on the election. I don't think they want to do that either, uh, because even if they looked at it and said, "Yes, look, there's sufficient basis here to justify the underlying affidavits," they're going to put it back to the state legislature that ultimately certifies, decertifies, recertifies, and you know. Um, an election outcome. So when you look at like what is going on as far as resolution goes, you've got to look, firstly, I'm talking about six states alone. All right, that's my focus. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Arizona. That's what it is. Yeah, Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin. Is that six? I think it is. Yep, that's them. Yep. Um, so in each one of those, if you take the um, Navarro report and the uh, the the underlying uh, footnoted affidavits uh, as the you know the factual representations, you've got procedural violations. You've got acts that were taken by secretaries of state that weren't were never authorized by the state legislature, which means they were illegal. Um, you've got individuals voting who weren't registered in those areas, individuals voting who were deceased, and ballots that were counted in, in multiple states in mass quantity that were not um, witnessed by Republican or Trump uh, election observers in violation of um, of state laws, you've got um, the the issue of the sort of command and control of the of the the ballot itself in a good number of cases where these aren't counted for. All of these cases, like if you just say they they existed in one state and weren't threatened and they would not alter the outcome of the election you know, you would have to go back and, and address them in the state legislature and have the, uh, the results of that election adjusted and, um, and, and you know, appropriately. Uh, and then if there's criminal component, which in almost a lot of these allegations, there's some degree of criminality. I mean, you can't just vote when you're not living in a, residing in a state in another state. It's obviously it's against the law. It may not be a felony or it may be, I'm not even sure, but there has to be. A so are, are, be are we looking, count, are we looking at, there's no accountability. July, August? Well, I guess I'm, I'm raising the point that look, um, like I, you know, I'd like, you know, uh, you got, you know, Sidney Powell's filing this last week um, in this case was not particularly inspiring to me. Um, Rudy Giuliani is, I guess, still on the team, but seems to be doing a radio show at WABC. Um, is he in the game? I, look, I, I don't really feel I have a full a grasp 
uh, who is um, leading the charge here as far, because, and I believe it's almost more a political undertaking than it is a legal undertaking. And I think about $150 million was raised for it, right? I mean, there was no shortage of resources. Yeah, true. So it's not like, well, gee, we just don't have the money to get. Now, the challenge they do have is the typical white shoe law firms that would usually handle these cases um, have, in this cancel culture, face threats about representing Trump or any Trump-related entity and have passed on, on that representation. Um, so this has been a little bit uh, rough from day one. But my, my thesis... Oh, it's, it's, it's been rough exactly from day one. You're right. My thesis, which um, is uh, shared by others, um, you know, I think you, you would hear uh, um, this would be like Steve Bannon's position, uh, that, and I share it, um, is that you, we, we can't talk in terms of reforms for the next election with this one being questioned by, you know, an excess of 40% of the country. Yeah, they just want us to move uh, on because people are going to have doubts about it. And I was discouraged uh, when Trump called in to one of our friendly hosts this past week in prime time to hear that they don't want to re-litigate the November 3 election. And I don't think I was alone in saying, where in the world was it ever litigated to begin with? We had courts that wouldn't hear the cases governors that wouldn't call state legislatures into session so that they could address it, you know, and, and a media that presented it like, look, Trump's lost 60 cases, but he didn't lose cases on evidence. He lost it on, um, you know, uh, technical and, and uh, standing issues predominantly really need to make sure that we're on our state legislatures, sure. that they're addressing these issues. We are seeing some out there that are are finally starting to address them. Georgia just Georgia did some yeah. positive here the last uh, 48 hours with, you know, some, some, which is great, like, you know, for, for reform in the, in the uh, future. I think they literally got rid of the signature comparison because, you know, let's face it, if you're not going to do the signature comparison, which they're not being done, yeah, uh, despite a requirement in a lot of states, then that's not going <clears> to <throat> do it. Um, but you have these major allegations out there, and I'm not making these allegations. I'm communicating, and there's a difference. So, for instance, on the systems, I haven't gone in. I'm not capable of, of telling you for sure, based on the systems, that they're um, valid or invalid, working, not working. But... Um, I look around and I see like the state of Texas and their reports on the Dominion ones. And I'm asking myself that alone, if I were making a decision, would lead me to not want to acquire that system. Yeah, it's uh, uh, we got problems for sure. Texas, Barry, any uh, last thought? I know you were trying to sneak in there. Uh, President Trump nope. put a telegram out there a nope. little bit ago. Go ahead. Yeah, no more. No more thoughts other than we're praying for you, Joe. OK, so just know what you're thinking. Yeah, we know just. We're praying for you. All right. I'm out. All right. Bye. Thank you, Texas. Appreciate it, Texas Bear. Much love, brother. Appreciate that. Appreciate it. President Trump uh, put out a telegram clarify. about uh, f- about a, a half hour ago, four months after the 2020 election in Georgia, over 400,000 absentee ballots are missing legally. 
required chain of custody. Yet Biden was given uh, the state by 12,000 votes. Quote, Georgia still hasn't come up with over 400,000 legally required chain of custody documents for predominantly Joe Biden ballots in the 2020 election. But they had no problem claiming Joe Biden won the election by 10,000 votes. An article continues to go on. That is the message from President Trump from earlier, as well as some endorsements of a GOP chairman in South Carolina. Um, it's, you know, at what point can are, are we going to hold our state legislatures accountable? I, I've made calls probably at least once a week for a while, and I, and I kind of give up. You know, I don't. I end up not calling them anymore. I end up losing the pressure on them, and I, I, I stop putting pressure and talking to my representatives. And then for a while, an issue will come up, and then I'll, I'll, I'll do it again. I like. I'd like to think most of us are are semi involved in our local legislatures, but it really worries me how involved we really are. That's why I've said from the very beginning, this is an institutional undertaking and logic dictates that the Republican National Committee, which had $1.4 billion at its disposal this election cycle, would have been the logical place to be conducting the report and to be uh, managing the strategy related to the follow-up and, the, um, and to be pursuing it. I think it's an extraordinary disservice that they're not on it. I think it's an equally great disservice that they're not being asked about the fact that they have not, to my knowledge, to this date, even affirmed Trump's position about the magnitude of problems with it. There's, I mean, there's still I don't even know what 20 or so. Do you know what they're, can you tell me what the position of the Republican National Committee is as it relates to what went wrong and where? in the November 2020 election and what their position is on the accuracy or inaccuracy of the Navarro report. I couldn't, I don't know of anyone who's asked them. We, what do we have, you know, we, get, we got 50 conservative media outlets. Why is someone not on the phone with Ronna McDaniel getting answers to these questions uh, as opposed to writing another column on the, you know, the need for uh you know, the, the flaws of socialism that's been written 300 times. <laughs> right. Um, we have a couple of candidates, Michael, that that uh, we're trying to help lift up their voices that uh, part of the channel. Uh, Mark Paquita is running for Senate uh, mansion seat in the Senate. He comes on uh, biweekly alternate you. Um, and, and whenever we can get him, really, he's a great voice. Uh, and he's he's really got a good campaign going. He's just got to get. Uh, the word out. Uh, J.R. Majewski is a friend of the channel. He's running for local uh, office, uh, uh, House of Representatives office in Ohio as well. There are others around the country that are in, I'm in contact with that I'm going to be bringing on the channel. J.R. has a new campaign video out, and I, I haven't seen it yet, and um, I figured that will be a good time to, to check it out. J.R. Majewski's new video uh, just dropped, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and I've been meaning to try to fit it into the show. Here's a good chance to do that. Let me get this up here. Check it out. If I give you one message to hold in your hearts today, it's this. Treat the word impossible as nothing more than motivation. Relish the opportunity to be an outsider because it's the outsiders who change the world and who make a real and lasting difference. The more that a broken system tells you that you're wrong, the more certain you should be that you must keep pushing ahead. You must 
keep pushing President forward. Trump is one of the best presidents we've ever we've ever had. So one of, one of the best presidents in, in my my lifetime. So I'm willing to support him as, as much as he needs it. Good stuff, Jr. That's a that's a pretty good start, man. And it's uh, I, you know, I look forward to to uh, doing what we can to help support these candidates. Um, the you know the messaging there and, and what he has for his platform is really pretty solid. And he's uh, met with, I believe, it's, uh, last night met with Jim Jordan uh, to discuss uh, some some issues, some uh, other things that are. It's just autoplay because you know it has to drive you nuts uh, to, to discuss some issues and to get the to get the campaign out. Um, you know, as far as how can we get more people behind these candidates who are veterans, are are great men, and are just trying to uh, to to step up and run, but you know the machine that's against them, it's going to be yeah. quite the battle. Well, yeah, I mean, it's and, and it's a predicament for me. I mean, when I have a good candidate who I know is likely or almost certainly a patriot who's going to you know fight the good fight in Washington DC and then you start looking at their you know uh, FEC filings and they've raised you know 40 or 50 grand and you know it's going to take three four million in these districts depending on where they are what met what television market they're in and whatnot to even be competitive so much of it comes down to money, which is why I answered the caller's question by saying that the levers of that money are the party and the two subsidiaries and the NRSC and the NRCC. So we are the majority of this party. We represent the current thinking in this party. We have the leadership. We have the all look at the activism. It's all on our side. Why would we omit uh, a focus on the leadership that's going to control both the allocation resources, the messaging, the candidates who are or are not backed in these primaries? Because that's where we've fallen short routinely. And I can't tell you, I mean, uh, how many times I hear from these candidates that they're just not getting anything out of these institutions, even when they're the nominee and they're past the primaries, they're not getting what they need. Uh, and the um, campaign consultants that they keep sending around the country of, you know, they lose, they lose, they lose, they lose again. And they just keep, you know, it's like no one's even keeping score. So we, so we need to get part, we need to get control of that. Um, the, you know, we need to have a position on, on where we stand on money and politics, right? So are we going to be okay with soft money? We're not okay with it. Um, you know, I mean, there's plenty of bad things that come from big money in politics, that's yeah. for sure. On the other hand, you know, we've argued many times that uh, political giving is political speech and it's First Amendment issue. Not everybody can knock on doors, et cetera, et cetera. 
but honestly, I, I don't think it's a system that's been helping us too much lately. When you look at where that real big money is, I mean, the Democrat Party has become the party of big money. They've become the party of big donors. Yeah. They've become the party of the... Um, you know, of the uh, of the soft money where you don't even know the donors that are necessarily behind them. And it's catch 22 because, you know, we have a strong conservative fiscal conservative stance that wants to change the way money and politics works. There are Bernie Sanders supporters that want to get involved. There are there are some uh, blue dog Democrats that, that are sick and tired of it, too. There's no shortage of of activists and people on the ground who want to do that. The problem is it's catch 22. If you hold the stance that you want to change the way money and politics works, then you'll never get elected. Well, look what happened in Chicago. I mean, Chicago is a, a perfect example of, of uh, some great candidates out there that just never got, you know, brought up anywhere just because of what you guys are talking about. They just didn't have the money for their campaigns to get their voices out there and it's been an ongoing situation in Chicago, and it continues. This is why we can't get any good good conservatives in the Chicagoland area also. Yeah, plus they make sure enough, they make it you know, I mean, you look, you consider 435 U.S. House races and, and uh, 100 staggered um, Senate races every um, several cycles, and, and how many of those races are legitimately competitive? I mean, it's you know, it's a small number. I mean, it's, 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 it's extraordinary to see how many of these districts um, have been, you know, where you've got guys in there, have been there for 30, 40, 50 years. I mean, Biden's a perfect example. I mean, right. 47 years of, of service at the highest levels of government as a U.S. Senator and a vice president. And even their support, even the supporters of the guy, can't, you know, really can't name a singular accomplishment that he's had and then you sort of ask yourself, okay, well, he's going back to Delaware and he's running on, on the basis of what, I mean, um, you know, send me down for another six years so I can come back and give you an update on, uh, you know, my office furnishments. I mean, like what is <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a mess. Oh, well, it's, I'll tell you one final thing, having worked for some moderate Republicans, two minutes, Michael. Including in the Senate, or including in the Senate, where people would say, "Oh, she, she or he is a sellout." Uh, often, I'll hear this about various elected officials, and I, I would say, "Don't focus on the person as much as the district and the people." Most of these members of Congress are reflections of the actual district, and if you don't like the representation that exists there. It's probably a product of the fact that we're not marketing and communicating our message sufficiently in those respective areas. And for a long, long time, that's obviously been the case on both in major metropolitan areas and in the uh, New England uh, regions of the country. Indeed. Uh, it's been fun, Michael. I appreciate it very much. Uh, Joe, any uh, thoughts or comments from chat or any other uh, breaking news before we close down the show today on this Tuesday afternoon? Nope, I don't uh, see anything else uh, as far as breaking news coming through. I just wanted to say a quick shout out to everybody in chat out there. Absolutely great comments. 
between Foxhole and DLive and everywhere else. Really appreciate everybody's input. I wish I could just read all your guys' comments. One, one, Maybe one show we'll just do that. That'd be kind of boring, but uh, some great comments out there from everybody. Michael, I want to thank you for joining us again. It's been a great Pleasure. conversation with you as well, sir. Back to you, babe. Michael, what's the best way to get a hold of you uh, online? Which, which uh, preferred platform are you usually putting uh, most of your information out on? Uh, Twitter's still uh, the primary one, and that's uh, at Michael Johns, my, my name, one word. I'm on Facebook, at Michael Johns Tea Party. I'm on YouTube, Michael Johns. And I'm on all the other uh, conservative ones. I'm just trying to play some catch up there with uh, Parler, MeWe, Gab, um, Clout Hub. All hey, and kudos to those guys who like yeah. put those things together, man. I know it's not an easy job, and uh, they all look like they've got some potential, uh, in my view. I mean, yeah, uh, Jeff's a great uh, guy over at Cloud Hub. He he worked yeah, very hard with us, and he's done he's done I a saw great. Saw they job. had some event over over the over the last weekend. Looked interesting. I like the fact that he's putting an emphasis on the community and the ghost yeah. and bringing together events. I'd love to be involved in that. So. And, and Gab, um, you know, those guys are from Scranton, you know, that's, so they're, they're working, uh, you know, kind of men and women and they've yeah. done some good stuff. They're all good. They're all good. I'm, I'm behind it. all of them. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, appreciate your time. Get get up. <laughs> appreciate you very much. And you guys. Thank you for having me. Yep. Take thank care you. of yourself, Michael. We'll be, I'll be in touch. And for all of you out there, thank you for joining us here today. Uh, don't forget the schedule for the rest of the week is, is a lot of good stuff coming for you guys. Jeremy Brown will be here tomorrow. If you're not sure of him, search that story, watch that video. You'll rather enjoy it. One foot five, uh, uh one foot N five D N D five. Uh, we will be on with her tomorrow night at eight thirty PM, uh, central. Uh, then we'll have the show again on Thursday and then Thursday night. I'll be doing a veterans round table with due diligence. I'm looking forward to that Friday. We got Todd Benzman here who is down at the border right now they're going to do a live report for us stand by for that with that i want to say much love and god bless you all thank you for spending time with us here today on the brothers on Censor channel we will see you guys tomorrow god bless you much love treat the word impossible as nothing more than motivation Relish the opportunity to be an outsider. Embrace that label. Being an outsider is fine. Embrace the label. Because it's the outsiders who change the world and who make a real and lasting difference.